0: back, Caleb Williams, looking for the first down, with time, dancing around his own end zone, finally guns it, and intercepted, Baylor's got it!
1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Sooner Nation podcast. I'm Matt. He's rich. Uh, all things Oklahoma. We need to get in here and discuss these. Oklahoma playing for the first time in a long time with its back against the wall as the Sooners get ready to host the Cyclones this Saturday morning, 11 a.m. kickoff. And Oklahoma's not in the Big 12 championship game uh, with the win over Iowa State. And they're certainly not out of the Big 12 championship game with the loss to Iowa State. But you just I mean a win certainly puts you in better position than a loss would so we've got to break down the Sooners and the Cyclones but we're going to start out with uh keeping with the gridiron but really moving over towards Lincoln Riley and the coaching rumors that are coming out this week about him uh going to LSU LSU uh jumping on a plane to Baton Rouge all that stuff you know these rumors go back even to the bye week uh when Riley missed his press conference for a personal matter um, rich on a scale of zero to 100, what is your stock on Lincoln Riley to LSU rumors?
0: <laughs> well, Matt, this one, man, it's going to fall flat on its face for me with a zero. And the reason why is when we look at Lincoln Riley and we look at the perception around the athletic program towards Lincoln Riley as a, h- a head coach, it's uh-huh. very favorable. And Oklahoma has consistently backed up that mindset and that view of him by contract extensions, by bonuses, different things that have been included in those contracts. What I'm looking at is an LSU program that won a national championship just a couple of years ago and is now, I don't want to say has hit rock bottom um, because they're not at the bottom of their conference. They're they are not a great team. They're not even a good team this year. I get the firing of, of Ed Orgeron. And looking for that next candidate and really wanting to hit a home run. But here's the thing, Matt, is why jump to an SEC program that needs rebuilding mm-hmm. instead of staying at the University of Oklahoma, which will become an SEC program, without the rebuilding process?
1: No, that's a, that's a great point about, about Oklahoma jumping into the SEC. And, and you would think, when just look at the X's and O's, Jimmy's and Joe's, so to speak, as coaches like to say back in the day. Um, At this point, if Oklahoma jumped into the SEC next year in 2022, Oklahoma right now, right now, Oklahoma is better suited for SEC play than LSU is. I mean, that's, I know people in Baton Rouge are going to go crazy over that statement, but it's the truth. Oklahoma has more tools, more assets, is in a better place as a program than LSU is right now for SEC play. So you got that going for you. If you're Lincoln Riley, you're going into a rebuilding program. Have you watched LSU play this year? They're not good. They're not good. So, I mean, if you're Lincoln Riley, you're thinking, okay, I kind of, I kind of, I got a good thing going here in Norman. I'm competing for my seventh consecutive conference championship. Or I could go to LSU and rebuild. Well, then you think about how much patience are the fans in Baton Rouge going to have if you go to LSU and rebuild. Let's not forget, Ed Orgeron won a national championship 18 months ago. Oh, but, you know, he did this and did that. And okay, all right, fine. You know what? You fired Les Miles. He won a national championship. The last two national championship coaches from LSU have been fired by LSU. So what's the standard there? What, what's the expectation? What's the level of patience going to be? $84 million. That's a lot of money. But where are the chances you're going to live out that contract if they're firing national championship coaches left and right? I, I think this is a non-starter. I think there's a reason why the guys who get paid to cover Oklahoma football and Oklahoma sports, the guys who have the contacts and the connections and so forth, you're not seeing them right about this story. You're not seeing Jason Kersey. You're not seeing Eddie Radasevich. You're not seeing Joey Helmer. You're not you're not seeing those guys come out and say, "Oh well, my people are telling me this," because there's no there's no smoke here. Now I wouldn't go zero percent like you. I would I would go um, on a scale of zero to one hundred. I think I would go to about ten. Because it makes sense. I, don't, I couldn't even tell you who the athletic director is at, at LSU. But it makes sense that you would make a phone call to Lincoln Riley's, our Lincoln Riley's people and say, you know what, we have these assets financially, we can make this happen. And if you're Lincoln Riley, you benefit from that because you can go to Joe Castiglione and you can say, hey, you know what, um, here's the situation. We have gotten this phone call from LSU and this is what they think our value is. Now there's always the risk of that backfiring. Why why is why is um, Dana Holgerson making over a million dollars a year as the head coach for the Houston Cougars? It's because Houston said, "Here's what we'll offer you." Dana Holgerson went back to the West Virginia administration and said, "Here's the value that Houston's placed on me. What do you guys think?" And West Virginia said, "Yeah, you should take that. <laughs> you should go to Houston if they think you're worth that much, then you need to go to Houston." I don't see that happening at Oklahoma. I just, I just feel like when we went through this with Bob Stoops as a fan base, you're going to go through it at Lincoln Riley. Anytime a big name school, a big opportunity opens up, th- those are the names that are going to circle through. But here's the question. Here's what it all boils down to for me. Outside of a financial gain, outside of a financial gain, What's in this for Lincoln Riley to go to Baton Rouge? Nothing. Oklahoma is a, the, at worst. No, excuse me. At best. Let me say that. At best, this would be a parallel move for Lincoln Riley. At best. It's not a step up. He's not going to Alabama. There aren't very many jobs in the nation that are higher on the food chain than Oklahoma. So at best, this is a lateral move. At best, it's a cash grab. And when has Lincoln Riley ever come across as a guy who's interested in a cash grab? Never. What's Lincoln Riley interested in? He's interested in developing quarterbacks. He's interested in winning football games. He's interested in being the head coach at the University of Oklahoma. He writes his own ticket here. He hasn't won a national championship, but Lincoln Riley does whatever he wants. He could go to Joe Castiglione within reason and say, Joe, here's what I want to do. And Joe Castiglione's going to be, yeah, sure, you do that. Steve Sarkeesian can't say that. Steve Sarkeesian wanted to hire Mike Stoops as his defensive coordinator. And the people above him said, nope, you're not doing that. They would love to have Mike Stoops now after dropping a game to Kansas. Your grandma could go out there and run for 100 yards against the Texas defense, Rich. But the point is, Lincoln Riley has it made at OU. And there's not enough money out there to give up that type of security. There's not. Now, you you attach Mike Gundy to this list. Instead of Lincoln Riley, you put Mike Gundy's name in there. Dude, he's gone. There there aren't there are, tell me the coaches in the Big 12 that have that type of job security that Lincoln Riley has. You want to do this job for a long time, you want to make a lot of money, you don't go to LSU. They fire you. You <laughs> win a national championship, they fire you. Matt, there's still there's
0: still a perfect candidate. In yeah, my opinion. He's in Waco, Texas. He is in Waco, Texas. And it, it doesn't come down just to the brand of football that a guy like Dave Aranda brings to the table. It's also his personality. Yeah. And when we're looking at LSU, I think they need someone to come in to not make these rash decisions, to not have a knee jerk reaction to everything that happens. And Dave Aranda embodies that for me. He's very stoic, not an animated character on the sidelines, but still has the ability to get the most out of his players, mm. you're you're looking at a team that was two and seven last year. All of a sudden, they're eight and two this year. Yes, I know we've seen that previously at Baylor, but when you're looking at Dave Aranda, when you're looking at some of these head coaching jobs, yeah, and the short list of candidates, it's hard for me to ignore. If you're looking at Big Twelve coaches, it's hard for me to ignore Dave Aranda's name.
1: Yeah, there's two things, I think. I, I agree with you, and I, I said this um, last week when we when we recorded talking about the OU-Baylor game. Um, but, but I think there's two things that stand in Dave Aranda's way. USC? No. Um, that, I mean, that could be three things if you want to throw that in there. But I think number one is, does Dave Aranda have aspirations for the NFL? And if if the answer is yes, then he's not going to LSU. He's going to follow the Matt Rule train, you know, the pipeline from Baylor into the NFL. So he's already set for that goal. If that's what he's if that's what he wants to do, then he's already set for that. The second thing that may be in a, in in the way is, does LSU do they want Dave Aranda? And I don't understand why they wouldn't, but I kind of feel like LSU has this top notch list and then Dave Aranda's on the next level down. And so guys like Lincoln Riley, guys like Jimbo Fisher, they're going to have to say no for them to get that far down the list to to Dave Aranda. And if you're Jimbo Fisher, I think you take the job. Really? I do. Because again, you're 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 with a fan you're uh, the head coach of a team with a fan base that has Unsustainable expectations. Texas AM is consistently one of the most overrated programs in the nation based on what they've done. I mean, they beat Alabama this year. Okay. And, and if so, you, so if your goal looking, is, that's how, how does that sound? You, you sound, look, listen, look. you sound like Oklahoma State. Well, it would beat Oklahoma. No, 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 we didn't, no, no, we didn't no, no, win no. the conference championship, but we beat here. Oklahoma.
0: Let's back up here because when you're specifically looking at LSU, mm-hmm. And and this is why I think Jimbo Fisher's name is so high. When you're specifically looking at LSU, if winning a national championship isn't good enough, then what is? And I believe the answer to that is beating Georgia, it's beating Alabama, it's beating Florida on a consistent basis. Right.
1: But but let's that th- that's the standard. But let's take that. Let's take that expectation. Let's take that standard. All right? And then let's say let's compare records. LSU actually has national championships, right? Uh, Oh, wait, Texas A&M won. Was it 1918 or something like that? So LSU actually has a modern history of winning national championships. Texas A&M does not have that. Texas A&M has not been competitive in a conference since the early days of the Big 12. 1996 is when the Big 12 was formed. That that time period from 96 to 2000, Texas A&M was, they were a player in the Big 12. So what you do, you have two fan bases, unrealistic expectations, but one fan base can act, they can actually act like they've been there, right? One fan base can actually act like they've been there, and another fan base has never been there. But yet they have the same expectations. They, they hold themselves in the same esteem. So at least if, you, if you're Jimbo Fisher, you go, to, you go to Baton Rouge, you get a big paycheck, and your trophies in the case. That's not the case in in Aggieland. By the way, LSU at uh, LSU host Texas A and M on uh, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, so just don't that not out fine. there. Yeah, that that Texas A and M Aggies have um, they have that mighty powerhouse Prairie View uh, this weekend, but then they go to Baton Rouge. So maybe maybe Jimbo Fisher can just unpack, you know what I'm saying? Just coach the game, then move into the uh, on the other side of the field and into the coach's office. I don't know. Um, we've talked more about that than than I wanted to. Um, Oklahoma basketball on the road and the uh, it was called the Myrtle Beach Invitational. They're actually playing East Carolina, who I believe host that that event. And it's I, I thought I thought Texas El Paso was going to be a step up on competition. And again, I I, I don't know. I, I don't know where I am on this as um, was Oklahoma's defensive effort that good or was Texas El Paso's. Uh, excuse me, San Antonio was there? Was their shooting that bad, or was Oklahoma's defense that good? I think I think the Roadrunners shot somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty two percent from the floor in that game. Now Oklahoma hosts. Uh, they're not hosts, I guess. They go to East Carolina, and that's a game that's going to be on ESPNU. U six uh, six thirty tip off for the Sooners in that game, and. Oklahoma's like a 13-point favorite in this. So you get to see, first of all, if you've not seen them, you get to see Oklahoma play. um, And uh, I think I said 6.30, but I think it's 6 o'clock actually is the tip-off for that game. You get to see Oklahoma play if you've got ESPNU. You get to see guys like Tanner Groves, Big 12 Newcomer of the Week. You get to see Porter Mosier for the first time. If you don't have Bally Sports, if you haven't been to the Lloyd Noble Center, tune in and watch this team. Watch them play 6 o'clock because they're going to play three games in a row uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So you've got ample opportunity to see them this, uh, this, this weekend. <laughs> My question is, were you surprised that OU is a 13-point favorite?
0: I, I actually am um at this point in time and and the reason being when you look at eastern carolina there's a couple of things that they do well mm-hmm. and one of those is is rebound the ball yeah oklahoma has gone granted it's it's a very very limited perspective that we have of oklahoma because they've played two games that actually count towards their record right but in each of those contests they've gone one way or the other And Matt, you know me, I preach consistency Mm -hmm. here. And what I know about ECU is that they're going to rebound the ball well, and it largely comes down to their length. How will they challenge passing lanes? Will Oklahoma be able to rebound the ball well? Will they be able to stop Eastern Carolina and transition? These are a lot of the questions that I have, and it all comes down to this. This is a team that's composed of a majority of new faces. You have three guys who stuck around after the fact, right. as they were installing Porter Mosier. It's not—it's no slight to those guys, but even Porter Mosier has gone on record saying this with Sports Illustrated is that this is an opportunity to build that team chemistry mm-hmm. that they need. its It's their first road test of the year, and we'll see exactly how well they perform. So yeah, I'm a little bit surprised that they're opening up as a 13-point favorite. I thought it would be a little bit slimmer than that closer to six or
1: seven. Yeah, so Eastern Carolina, 3 and 0 on the season and um you know I Get that. Could you try again? Yeah, I'll try again. Eastern Carolina, 3 and 0 on the season, and here's those here's their three wins. They opened up the season with a 70 to 62 win over South Carolina State. I uh, I see I did that pause there on purpose. South Carolina State. Uh then they've beaten Newton, um and excuse me, no, what's the guy their leading score, thirty points. Then they beat Western Carolina. And then they beat uh who is their other one? I, I can't see it here on their schedule. Um yeah, Western Carolina and then and then they beat um before uh, Kinesis. So, uh, sorry, Western Carolina was their last win. I totally botched that up. So South Carolina State, Kinesis, and Western Carolina, 3-0. and Now, Oklahoma's got nothing to brag about, okay? Oklahoma's got Northwestern State and University of Texas, San Antonio. So there's there, – I think you're going to find out a lot about both of these teams when they take the floor uh, in this, this whole weekend for Oklahoma because Indiana State's there, Old Dominion's there. Should be a, a good week. I, I feel like the expectation as an Oklahoma fan – is that the Sooners come home from this weekend with a 3-0 and record. But I think tonight's game, as we're recording this Thursday night, will say a lot towards—if there's a chance to lose, I think clearly it's it's this first yeah, game. Yeah,
0: I, I agree with that.
1: Okay, so we got to jump in. Oklahoma and Iowa State, Sooners hosting the Cyclones for 11 a.m. kickoff. Richard and I are going to jump right in the middle of that, right after this. Sooners and Cyclones, Rich, it's a game that— um, you you put together people don't need to know the, the, the back end of, of how our podcast works, but we alternate putting together the the topics that we're gonna discuss. And this was your week to put together topics. And one of the things that you said about this game with the Cyclones is it is this a resume a resume? A resume building game. And I my first thought when I saw that on, on your agenda for for talking points is does it matter anymore? <laughs> Really? I mean, does it matter? Is it, is, I mean, first of all, this, this game is not – it's lost its luster. Had Iowa State beaten Texas Tech last weekend, this game would have had a lot more shine to it than what it does right now. Mm. It's a necessary game for Oklahoma. You, if you're the Sooners, you got to win this game because your backs are against the wall, and you don't want to put yourself in a situation where Bedlam becomes a de facto elimination game because the last thing you want as an Oklahoma fan – is to have Oklahoma State say, hey, we, we ended your run to the Big 12 championship. Even if Oklahoma State doesn't go on to win the Big 12 championship, they're going to say, we ended the streak. We ended the run. So you don't want Bedlam to be a de facto elimination game. You got to win this game if you're Oklahoma. But what this does to Oklahoma's resume, I don't think it matters. Because the only the only time a resume matters if you're in contention with the college football playoff, and at number thirteen, Oklahoma's not in contention. They're not, and I, I've seen all these articles and all these things. Here's how Oklahoma can get back in the college football playoff after the loss to Baylor. I'll tell you how you, next year. <laughs> that's that's how you get back in the dock. Oklahoma's not making the playoff. I'm just going to say it right now, whether it's a bold prediction or whether it's just captain obvious, Oklahoma's not making the playoff. So therefore, when you talk about resumes, I don't believe this game matters at all. you got to win it because you want your hopes and dreams of a Big 12 championship to stay alive. You want, a, you want a New Year's Six Bowl. You want all those things that come with being a, the prestige of the University of Oklahoma. But when you're talking about building a resume, what are we building a resume for? <laughs> Unless we're talking about Lincoln Riley going to LSU. There's no no resume matters in this game, in my opinion. Yeah, I'd love to know your thoughts. Here's the thing is the the national
0: narrative is that Oklahoma does have that shot to get back into the college football playoff. I'm shaking my head. And so a, as I read through some of these comments, as I read through some of these articles, I, I had to throw it on the list because I'm looking at Iowa State, who's four and three in conference mm-hmm. play, Matt. I'm looking at an Iowa State team who who started the season ranked inside the top 10 of the AP poll at number 7. I'm looking at an Iowa State team that no longer has a a spot in the top 25 either, and I I keep scratching my head and wondering how some of these individuals are labeling this game as a resume builder. Even if Oklahoma who by the way, I I get they lost to Baylor, but let's just pretend for a quick moment that that loss doesn't take place. Oklahoma sitting at 10-0 at on mm-hmm. the season. Is this a resume builder? My answer would still be a no. Because while I think Iowa State is a
1: good football team, they're not a great
0: yeah. football team.
1: Is Iowa State a team that's capable of beating you on any given weekend? Yes.
0: Yeah, Oklahoma State learned
1: that the hard way. Is Iowa State a team that people hold in high prestige? No. I mean, you and I, I just went back and looked while you were talking. In our Big 12 power rankings Mm -hmm. this last week, you and I both had Iowa State number six. So we have them the first team in the bottom half of the Big 12. That means there's five teams in the Big 12 that we think more highly of than Iowa State. And we're guys who are in the conference. I mean, we cover these teams. We know these teams. We're in and out of them every weekend. I would venture to say there's probably not a lot of people who watch more football than I do on, on on a weekend of college football. And I can tell you, there's no prestige right now with Iowa State. That's gone. And, and it was, already, it was uh, already fluttering away before they went to Lubbock, Texas. So, no, it, 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 no, it's not. It, and if it was, if OU beat Baylor last weekend, that was your resume building win. And then Bedlam next weekend, resume building win. This is a dud that would be called a trap game sandwiched in between them. But there's no, first of all, there's no, again, there's no resume for Oklahoma. And so if there were, this current Iowa State team, it's a no-win situation for the Sooners. Because you beat them, you're supposed to beat them. They're 6-4. and But if you lose to them, then what in the world are you doing losing to Iowa State? It compounds the current issues that Oklahoma is already facing. And to me, that's where you introduce the game topic of this weekend, because this is a critical moment for Oklahoma football. We covered it. We, we talked about it last week. They were outplayed. They were outmatched. They were outcoached. They were outclassed. Everything that could go wrong in Waco went wrong in Waco. How do you rebound from that knowing because this is what they're dealing with. This is the mentality. At number eight, we're super disrespected. The, the playoff committee has no respect for us. We can't wait. We're going to go out and we're going to show the world how dare they respect us? And then you go out and you get your butt handed to you by Baylor. How do you come back from that? That that's the critical thing you got to, because Iowa state, are they the best team in the big 12? No. Are they one of the top four best teams in the big 12? No. But are they good enough to catch you when you're having a pity party and beat the snot out of you? Absolutely. They can do that. This is a dangerous game for Oklahoma on Saturday.
0: I'm going to jump on board with that final statement that you make. Matt, what we look at with Iowa State is they have the talent. The talent's been there. In fact, when we want to look even statistically about the defense, the defense has showed up every game. Now, they have the anomaly that is Texas Tech and a 62-yard field goal to end that contest. Mm -hmm. Prior to that point, I want to say Iowa State was even up 18 points per game, um, which would have easily ranked inside the top three, if not the top two, I'd have to go and look at that in the big 12 conference alone. And so this is a team that, by the way, we're going to, I'm going to give you a sneak preview of some of these true or false questions Uh, that are coming up a little bit later, but Iowa state's three losses in conference have come by a combined 12 points. mm -hmm. So when they're losing, they're still in these games. I think Iowa state's got a shot to beat any team in the conference any day of the week, the question is, is, will they? Because they've proven that they can play tight games with teams that are better than them record wise. They've proven that they can hang tough with teams that are better than them. And then they've shown that they can beat teams that have a much higher national perception than they do a la Oklahoma state. Yeah. So is Iowa state a dangerous team? Absolutely. And I think when you look at Oklahoma, that question is how will they respond? They had the week off before Baylor. The unthinkable happened in the transition from that week off to game week, and that Oklahoma came out and, and just wasn't able to compete at the same level for the extended period of time of 60 minutes mm-hmm. that Baylor was able to. And it, it led to this disappointing defeat, and I think there's a large propensity for that to happen once again.
1: And, and the, to, to compound that is this is the game that would salvage Iowa State's season been super disappointing this is the team that beat you in the big 12 championship a year ago so how do you salvage if if, if you're Brock Purdy if you're Brees Hall if you're Xavier Hutchinson you're these guys that everything was on you to to go and be a front runner in the big 12 and you didn't do it you underperformed this is how you save the season this is how you hold your head high because you come into Norman and you dethrone the Sooners I mean, that's Oklahoma's got that going against them the next two weeks. And, and it's dangerous this week because Iowa State's underperformed. It's dangerous the next week because Oklahoma State's overperformed and they're looking for validation. Oklahoma has to play their best football on Saturday. And it starts with the thing that we're most, I have least, the least amount of confidence in this Oklahoma football team is their focus and their mentality. That's where it starts. If They cannot come out and be mentally focused and be sharp. And if they can't come out with a hungry, let's eat type mentality, if they can't hold their water and they're pulling 15-yard unsportsmanlike penalties, they're going to lose this game. And it's, it's crazy for me to say that at this point, 10 games into the season, but that's exactly where they are. The, the biggest key to this game on either side of the ball is the mental aspect or mental approach to Iowa State. Absolutely. So before we jump into X's and O's. Jimmy's and Joe's. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> are, they, are they where they need to be mentally? And that's on the coaches as well. Lincoln Riley. Yeah. Lincoln Riley was not at his sharpest. I, I, I was the most. This is the most critical I've been of Lincoln Riley since the Rose Bowl loss to Georgia. He was outclassed by Kirby Smart. Last week, he was outclassed by Dave Aranda. But by the way, let me just throw this freebie out there. All these people mad at Lincoln Riley last weekend for the loss are like, please don't go to Baton Rouge. You know, they're still mad at Lincoln Riley. Something's got to change. It's time to change it up. And then it's like, don't go to Baton Rouge. So anyway, it just, it comes to me. It comes down to a mental state from the coaching staff forward. And, and I'm, I'm in favor of this coaching staff. I've got, I've got no grievance against the coaching staff. But I'm tired of, of of hearing the phrase "We're close." I'm tired of hearing the phrase "We see what's wrong on film and we can fix it." I, I don't think you can. I think you have to. I think you have to play around it now. I think you have to readjust your schematics, and that's that's where this that's where I I, I promise you this. Matt Campbell hopes that Lincoln Riley comes at his defense with the same game plan he had. Against Dave Aranda in Waco, he hopes that's what Lincoln Riley does. And if Lincoln Riley, he got some heat. But if that game plan is the very is the exact same thing, the delayed draws and the stretch plays and all that stuff, if that's the same game plan, the vertical passing game and skipping underneath, there's going to be problems next week. He he got some he got some heat for this loss. You lose to Iowa State at home with the same game plan there's going to be problems there. There might be some people willing to actually help him pack his bags, which still is a bad move, but I'm just saying that mentally things have got to change. Philosophically things have got to change. And if they don't, it doesn't matter what you do schematically. That's, that's the only point I'm making.
0: Yeah. Um, I I do think it would be foolish to come in with the same game plan. And if, I know a lot of people like to use the definition of insanity. This would be playing Mm -hmm. out in real life. Once again. But here's the thing, Matt, is I don't know what happened last week, and I'm not going to claim to know what the mentality and what the mindset was. But I do believe it's a trickle-down effect where the coaches came in with this mindset, and then the players adopted it.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Because you do have leaders in this locker room who have the ability to sway the mindset. Do you, though? Who are those leaders? Who? Yeah, so I, I'm glad that you've asked because I think you have one on the defensive side of the ball. And I think you're really having a lot of question marks on the offensive side of the ball. When I'm looking at the defensive side of the ball, it's on the back end. It's DeLair and Turner-Yell. He's the guy who sets the the example. He's the guy who's coordinating what's happening on this back end. And we've seen when he's on the field, Matt, what happens. Players respond to that, right? Mm -hmm. On the offensive side of the ball, I think it's very easy to point at the quarterback position. And it's equally as easy to forget just how young Caleb Williams is. He's still learning. He's still adjusting to the pace and the speed of this game, despite some of the early successes. Those are still things that he's learning as a true freshman in this conference. Needless to say, I don't have one guy that I would pinpoint as an individual who, who can completely sway the locker room. But I feel like on the back end of the defense, you at least have one hope.
1: I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but I just don't know if I buy it. I you're don't. Lo- you're looking for a Travis Lewis and a Baker Mayfield? I, yes. And that guy's, I thought it was Caleb Williams. That guy's not on this team right now. Now, Caleb Williams could develop into that guy. He's not that guy right now. I don't know who the leader is. I, I, someone should should have said, guys, this is Baylor. This doesn't happen to us against Baylor. Right, seventy-seven and seven. I I just anyway. Uh, I let let's talk more specifically schematics. Oklahoma's going up against an Iowa State defense that you mentioned. Um, they're averaging twenty point five points a game. A uh, points per game allowed to their opponents just just giving up over three hundred yards of offense, three hundred and six point eight, and they're more susceptible to the pass, if you will than they are to the run. All that said, I want to see Oklahoma run the ball. I want to see Oklahoma line up and just run the ball because there's a problem with this offensive line, when it comes to zone blocking, there's a problem with this offensive line. When it comes to the guards pulling, there's a problem with this offensive line and getting to the next level of the defense. And when you're supposed to do that, how you're supposed to do that, why you're supposed to do that. But what I think this offensive line can do is I think they can line up and move a guy to the left or the right and let a running back go through. But, Oklahoma doesn't need to do these stretch plays. They don't need to do delayed draw plays. I want to see Oklahoma line up and come fast. Just come right downhill on these guys. And if Kennedy Brooks isn't your guy, then let's put in Marcus Major. I'm just saying, to me, you got to establish the run. You take away the run game, and you can beat Oklahoma. And Iowa State and Oklahoma State both can beat Oklahoma if the seniors can't run. Texas Tech isn't on the schedule anymore. Just saying, okay, well, we're not going to run. We're just going to pass, 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 pass. That team's not on the schedule anymore. If you're going to have success, if you're going to win three games to win the Big 12 championship, you can't do that without running the ball. So the very first thing for me offensively, I, I want to see them. They got to run the ball. Be it Caleb Williams or be it Kennedy Brooks or be it some sort of combination of Caleb Williams and Kennedy Brooks you got to run the football
0: I I do agree with you but from a slightly different vantage point and maybe perspective here I think this one does come come down to the offensive line I um, mean one of the big keys for this Oklahoma offense is going to be them setting the tone and setting the pace this is an Oklahoma offensive line that was very highly touted especially in the recruiting rankings as these players were coming in to college. We've talked highly about Bill Biedenboe and we've talked about a lot of the successes that he's had in finding guys to fit various roles, Mm -hmm. regardless of the situation and what's happened. It's bred a lot of success for him and it's led to a lot of success on the field for this, this team, this not this particular year, But this Oklahoma football team, since Bill Bedenboe joined the staff, I want to see them get an initial push. I want to see them open up running lanes. And like I said, I want them to assert their dominance in this game. Why? It's because, Matt, when Oklahoma runs the ball and the offensive line does their job, I do believe Oklahoma has one of the most explosive passing attacks in the country. But without a rushing attack... Defenders are just sitting back and waiting for it. Mm-hmm. So Oklahoma, I do agree they have to run the ball, but I'm, I'm saying a lot of this hinges not on Kennedy Brooks. It's going to hinge on this offensive line. But, and see, how well they but
1: that's what I'm talking about. Lincoln Riley praised uh, pass protection uh, for his offensive line last week. Why did the passing game not work then? I, I have an answer for that here in just mm-hmm. a minute. The, the struggle with this, with this offensive line has been run blocking. And because they're doing these different schematics, and I don't, I don't think, me personally, now I never played offensive line, okay? I was an outside guy. I, mean, I, was, a off, I was a receiver, and I was a defensive back. But when I look at this, the, the problem with the offensive line is not in the issue of area of talent. It's in the issue of schematics. So simplify. Just simplify. Move the guy in front of you. That's all you have to do on this play. Whoever lines up in front of you, you move that guy. And if no one lines up in front of you, you go to the next level and you move the first guy you come across. Simplify it. I think this is an offensive line that has the ability to overpower and overcome. Mm-hmm. I don't know that they're up to par with what Bill Biedenbow wants out of fancy schematics. When the fancy schematics aren't working, you do away with them. And you go with what you know. Simplify, and that's what I want to see happen. I again, I'm I, my number one. You got to run the football.
0: How how do you see Caleb Williams factoring into that? Because when we were previewing this Baylor game, I think you and I were heavily leaning towards Caleb Williams being a feature mm-hmm. ball
1: carrier. Yeah, no, but he, here's what's happened. And and again, find a different way to use him. Don't. I'm not saying don't run him. But the delayed draw is not working anymore, right? That that 66-yard run against Texas was spectacular. It'll go down as one of the plays of the year for Oklahoma. But they're on to that. When you see Caleb Williams take that pause, then you on that second level, you take a pause. Let the defensive end still crash. Let the defensive tackle still bring pressure. But you pause. So now you got to go. Now you got to do away with the delay draw and you do you run it, run an option play, run a zone read where you read the defensive end, do something different with Caleb Williams to to Mm -hmm. to bring out his skill set. But the delay draw, it it needs to go to the back of the playbook because it's been figured out. So you bring Caleb Williams into it. I mean, again, the danger of Caleb Williams is his legs. Right now, I, he's a quarterback that if I, was, if I was scheming against him, he's a guy that I'm going to say, make him beat me with his arm, not his legs. That's how I'm, that's how I'm scouting Caleb Williams out. So you, in that situation, you're running him in two different ways. Think about how Baylor ran uh, with, with, uh, last week. With their quarterback, Bohannon, they just they attack. That defensive end's crashing. Well, and, we're coming at you.
0: And that was a really good adjustment yeah, in the second half.
1: But that's the kind of stuff that all you need to do with Caleb mm-hmm. Williams now. Or w- give him the, the green light. Caleb, if the pocket falls apart, it's a pass play. But if the pocket falls apart, then you scream your code word and you go downfield. That's, that's what you've got to do, in, in my opinion, with this. But, I mean, man, put Eric Gray in there and run an option play. I, I know the wishbone is dead in college football unless you play for one of the service academies. But there's no way you can't convince me that Kenneth Williams and Eric Gray would not be a fantastic combo on an option. That would give, I promise you, that would give Jim Knowles something to stay up at, late at night for. You run that three or four times, Jim Knowles is going to be, uh, oh, no. Because an option play opens the window for so many other things you can do with motion. But anyway, I digress. Uh, run the football. No, number two for me. And and this is uh did you give number one? I'm, yes. It's okay. like I said, we're we're attacking
0: the same, uh, I'm the in same my own, problem I'm, <laughs> from two different angles. I'm in
1: my own world right now because I have got lots of problems with this offense and I'm not close to the level of genius. I'm not even at i I'm not even at a level of genius. But I'm picking apart this offense of Lincoln Rodney going, is it X's and O's or is it is it the guy on the field? So number two is, to me, number two is take advantage of intermediate passing. Still run deep routes, hit the seams, put Jaden Hazelwood, put Marvin Mims downfield, but take advantage of Austin Sogner who's just 10 yards <laughs> in front of you.
0: This, this is funny because you and I, and I haven't seen your notes, you haven't seen mine, but we're going to go pace for pace here.
1: Look, Lincoln Riley... Strive for stride. and and here it is. I said I would come back to this. Lincoln Riley graded out his pass protection high. That wasn't the problem. Well, there was no one open. Yes, there was. They were 5 to 10 yards in front of Caleb Williams instead of 40 yards downfield. He... He took advantage of 40 yards downfield early because people knew Spencer Rattler wasn't going downfield. He was looking close. Now they're dropping five in coverage because they know he's looking downfield. You got to adjust. Katie Williams, here's what I'm going to do on this play. I'm running Marvin Mims deep. I'm running Jaden Hazelwood deep. That's going to take up three defensive backs if I do that. Two corners and a safety underneath. You're going to have Jeremiah Hall or Braden Willis. And you're going to have Austin Stogner. Hey, I'm going to throw Marvin Mario Williams out there. You're going to have four guys underneath within 15 yards of you throw to one of them. It's that simple. Sorry. <laughs> no, like I
0: said, man, we're, we're just going to stride for stride here. Cause I said, make the, and I didn't use intermediate, but I love that term a little bit better than the one I used, which was short passes. I said make those your bread and butter in this game. What we've seen, Matt, is time and time again when – and this is Oklahoma's defense that, I mean, is a great example. When giving that 10-yard cushion because you're expected to throw deep, you're expecting these quarterbacks to throw the ball down the field and stretch it vertically – you're giving that 10-yard cushion. What, what opens up? It is those short passes. Mm-hmm. And if you can take advantage of those, man, I don't, I don't care if you're going to average seven or eight yards per right. completion. Guess what that's going to do? It's going to get you a first down. It's going to move the chains. And when you're getting first downs, you're marching down the field and daring these teams to come up into press coverage. And then you take a shot deep. There will be opportunity for that. I'm not oblivious to I that fact. There will be that opportunity, but I wholeheartedly agree. It starts by looking for those short passes and establishing that game before taking those deep shots and challenging this Iowa State defense that has played well throughout the season, <laughs> minus their, as I've labeled it, their anomaly against Texas Tech, minus mm. that game. They've played, they've played exceptionally well and kept this team in games time
1: and time again. You gotta, you've got to give the safeties reason to pause. And if you're not giving the safeties reason to pause, then the, the, deep, the, the deep ball's not going to work unless you can throw over them and run past them. And, and in this, this state of the, of the season, that's not happening. So run the ball, take advantage of intermediate passing, and I got one more. Don't turn it over. I think mean, that's a given. Well, no, you, you would, you would think you. it's a given, but the, the turnovers last week were egregious, mm-hmm. especially the first one in the second, the one in the second half. You've got the ball. You, you can move it. You have a chance. And it's, I don't know if he was trying to throw the ball away. I don't, I don't know what he was doing on that play, but that turnover egregious, it shouldn't happen at this level. is just a freshman. I don't care. He's a starting quarterback. That should not happen. Don't turn the ball over. You do that, you're going to be in a position. You do those three things, you'll be in a, a position to 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 win this game. So, bold prediction, Rich. Give me a bold prediction for this offense on Saturday. Man, my bold prediction is they score more than 14 points.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> a bold
1: prediction after last week. <laughs> the
0: the bold prediction that I'm going with here, Matt, and and Man, I, I don't know how bold this one is. It may be completely bonkers. It may be something that's a little more realistic, but I think this is a game where Oklahoma may rack up more rushing yards than passing yards, as a bold prediction. Sure. No, that's, I,
1: I, I'm I in favor of that. I truthfully am. I'm in favor of 300 mm-hmm. rushing yards and 200 passing well, yards.
0: you You've talked about crashing defensive ends and mm-hmm. taking advantage of that. Iowa State has a duo that's one of the best in the country. 17 and a half sacks this year between the two of them. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to try to pronounce their names, so we're just going with the duo <laughs> as the name of these two individuals. Needless to say, if you have guys that are pinning their ears back and looking to get in the backfield, mm-hmm. regardless of if they have to go wide or not, utilize that. Utilize that momentum. And that, that's where I think a guy like Kennedy Brooks can really take advantage of a defense that's coming after the quarterback.
1: Yeah, and and to me, even a guy like Braden Willis or Jeremiah Hall, just get right on the backside of that guy, you know, the defensive end crashes, and you pop a little screen out in that situation behind the line of scrimmage, so you can already have linemen downfield. I mean, there, Lincoln Riley will figure it out. I I, I am full, um, I am in full belief that Lincoln Riley will figure it out. I'm just saying, if he doesn't this Saturday, it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. Uh, player who must perform. Give me your offensive guy. You're watching on Saturday.
0: Um, I think this is an easy one, and it is Caleb Williams. I wrote down offensive line, um, but I felt like that was my cheater's way out. Mm-hmm. Um, I will go with Caleb Williams. Okay, and, and we're we're including quarterbacks this. Yeah, this yeah, go yeah around, absolutely. Right?
1: We have to after a game like last week.
0: Yeah, Caleb Williams. I think you saw a little bit of the immaturity in terms of the game. Yeah. Um, from him against Baylor. Of course, you're looking for a guy to improve, and no one's expecting a perfect game from a true freshman. Now, now some people might, and I may have misspoke, but I'm not one of them. Mm-hmm. I'm not expecting a, a perfect game, but I am expecting an individual who can go in and, and manage the game and not put their defense on the field time and time again by virtue of a turnover. Okay. Caleb Williams has that capability, and and I think some of it, again, we've talked about coaching. I'm not going to continue to harp on that, um, but this coaching staff needs to utilize the talent that is Caleb Williams to its fullest. And I think if they do that, then Caleb Williams looks good and we're not having this conversation.
1: OK, uh, let me ask you this question. What does this game look like last week if Gabe Burkage doesn't miss two field goals?
0: Okay. I definitely think it changes the equation.
1: That's why Gabe Burkage is my player to watch. My guy who has to perform is Gabe Burkage.
0: You gotta take a it, page. Yeah, and it changes the approach to the, the entire game. Yeah. I mean, down the stretch, it changes the approach. Yep. Because you're not in this this hurry mode where you're you're halfing to throw well, the you're ball well
1: You're you're leading that game at the half if Gabe Barkish doesn't miss. Mm. So anyway. All right, true or false coming up. Rich asking me the questions, and then we're gonna give you the defensive preview for this game against Iowa State and then our Big 12 rundown, closing out the last 20 ish minutes of the Sun Nation podcast.
0: And I'm going to ask you a couple of, of easy ones up front here. Yes, I like easy ones. These are all about this game, this contest. There's nothing on the national scene that I'm throwing in this week. Um, But like I said, I'm just going to start with an easy one here for you then, okay?
1: By the way, this is the true or false segment of the Sooner Nation podcast, where one of us states five statements that are either true or false, and the other one has to determine true or false and explain why.
0: <laughs> I feel like that was your little disclaimer at the end of a medication where they just read it <laughs> off really fastly in the commercials. Man, um, so true or false, despite a 4-3 and record in conference play, the Cyclones are still a team that could upset Oklahoma.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and, and to save time, I'll say true, and for the reasons we've already discussed. But absolutely true. When And Charlie Kohler still scares me. I'm just going to say that. Yeah. We haven't gotten to the defensive breakdown, uh-huh. but Charlie Kohler still scares me. When we look at the...
0: The plan of attack, so, so to speak, for Iowa State, seeing what, o- what Oklahoma was facing in Abram Smith mm-hmm. and Baylor and the, the Dave Aranda game plan, it seemed to work. Now, Iowa State's going to come into this game with a, a very talented running back sure. in Brees Hall. So, again, just an easy one here. True or false, fans should expect Iowa State to utilize Brees Hall much more in the game plan after watching Dave Aranda, Abram Smith, and Baylor.
1: No, I think that's false. I I think they they want they want Brees Hall to do what he's done all season long for them. Uh, they just want to pick with you, pick with you, pick with you, and then what they want is to hit that home run like Abram Smith had the seventy five yard run against Oklahoma last week. Oklahoma's defense actually played well against Abram Smith and that Baylor offense. Until that 75-yard run, that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will, the damn burst at that point, the floodgates come open, however you want to say it. That's what they want to do with Brees Hall. I don't think they want to do more than they normally would do with him. They just want him to be effective at what he does do in that offense. And watching Abram Smith last week, I would... Abram Smith's a good running back, but definitely I would put Brees Hall above him in the Big 12 pecking order. I think it gives them confidence that they can do what they'd like to with Brees Hall, but I don't think that they're going to put more on his plate than what they normally would.
0: I, I want to look at the game specifics here with these next two. Um, and this one's off the cuff.
1: You're, you're oh, getting good. a freebie here. Oh, okay? okay.
0: When, <laughs> when, <laughs> when we look at this Oklahoma team out, we know defensively that, A guy like Alex Grinch has prided himself on a specific number of turnovers Mm -hmm. each contest. Whether Oklahoma has maintained that or not is not what I'm here to discuss. I'm here to discuss the game in front of us Mm -hmm. and say that if Oklahoma fails to force a turnover, true or false, they'll be in trouble.
1: I think they'll be in trouble even if they do force turnovers. They got two turnovers in Waco and they lost the game. So, yeah, I think it's true. If, if they fail to force turnovers, yeah, they're going to be in trouble. If they get turnovers, they could still be in trouble. Um, but, no, I, I think if there's one thing we know about Brock Purdy is that he's going to give you opportunity to intercept the pass. I mean, that's just he's a good quarterback, but that's his M.O. He's, he's going to have that one or two plays where fans from both sides go, what was that? And so there's going to be opportunity. Look at the big 12 championship game that the Trey Brown's interception to seal that up. That was a terrible play by Brock Purdy. There's going to be opportunity for turnovers, but I don't know if, if, if Lincoln Rye doesn't have a philosophical change to what he approaches this offense with getting turnovers may not make that big of a deal. Cause it, it, it made, it made zero difference last week in Waco. And you want, you want a team to pay for turnovers Oklahoma could not make Baylor pay for turnovers. I think the bigger question is, I'm going to reword your question is if Oklahoma can't make Iowa State pay for turning the ball over, then they'll be in trouble. That's where that's where the rubber meets the road right here, in my opinion.
0: Okay, fair point. Fair point. We'll change the question. We'll redo <laughs> it. Just go ahead and scratch. I'm teasing on that one, Matt. I've mentioned Iowa State's defensive ends. I've mentioned how successful. They've been this year. Mm-hmm. The key matchup, true or false, the key matchup is how will Lincoln Riley mitigate the crashing defensive ends?
1: No, that that's true, and, and it goes back again. The first half of this podcast, what we talked about with what they do with Caleb Williams, because the last thing you're going to want to do with Caleb Williams against this defense is have him sit in the pocket. You've got to move the pocket. You've got to uh, do the, the 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 you know. You got to do a quick run. Um, all you got to do is zone reads. I mean, zone reads would be a great way to, to really m- mitigate that with a crashing defensive end because the zone read is based on what the defensive end does. And so Lincoln Rye is going to have to have a game plan for this. Should have, should have been the game plan last weekend. I, I got to quit beating that dead horse. But no, it's true. That's, that's crucial to Oklahoma's offensive success. So that's absolutely true.
0: Well, last one, and this was a really quick segment. Yeah, just go around. But, but it's OK, the,
1: we're running, we're over time anyway. So. The last
0: the last one is this. When we look at Oklahoma, we know that they're playing in front of a home crowd. We know that they're favored by, I believe, at six. The last time I mm. looked in this game, true or false, if this game was in Ames,
1: Oklahoma would be the underdog it's false uh, no it's false it's a, it's a one loss team against a four loss team uh the the point spread wouldn't be what it is right now but but no it absolutely is is false Oklahoma Oklahoma could be the underdog in Stillwater based on what Oklahoma State does in Lubbock Texas this weekend but the way it is now there's there's I just don't see a way Oklahoma would have been an underdog in Ames Iowa so I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with false. So hey, that's it for this uh, this episode or this portion of true or false. Uh, good job, Rich, on on the questions. And uh, we're gonna break down Oklahoma's defensive matchup against Iowa State, and then we're going to give you the Big Twelve rundown, and then we're gonna let you enjoy your football weekend. Iowa State's offense, led by Brock Purdy and Brees Hall, is producing 32 and a half points per game, 434 yards. Uh, they do most of it through the air, but the running attack is very good at just under 170 yards a game on the ground, 265 through the air. Of course, we know Xavier Hutchinson's uh, the the big time receiver, the Charlie Kollar, um, who just seems to be a guy who's a thorn in Oklahoma's flesh. Um, Brees Hall already over a thousand yards. Uh, you know, he'll he'll ha- be, have over twelve hundred yards after this game because he only needs twenty-eight yards to get there. Um, I, I the the good thing that Oklahoma has for them, because what changed the game in Waco was the running game, uh, with Jerry Bohannon, um, Gary Bohannon. Sorry, um, but um, Brock Purdy's not going to do that. So you got to keep you got to keep Brock Purdy in. You still have to do containment. Oklahoma lost containment last week in Waco. This week you you've got to keep containment. you've got to keep Brock Purdy. this is this sets up better for Oklahoma's defense to keep him in the pocket and bring the pressure up the middle. And I feel like situations like this, Oklahoma's defense really kind of puts itself in in a good spot. They were good against abram Smith. I, I don't really Breece Hall's going to get Brees Hall stuff, but i don't I, I think you can make you can mitigate Brees hall's. Impact on this game if you're able to win first down and then keep Brock Purdy contained with pressure on those second and third downs when you're behind the chains. So, to me, when I break this down, number I, I'm not, I, I guess I won't say is I'm focusing more on what I can do with Brock Purdy than I am with Brees Hall. Lesser two evils, so to speak, you know, they both can kill you. But I'm I'm worried about Brees Hall. I'm really worried about Charlie Kolar and Brock Purdy. So I'm focusing more on that.
0: Mm-hmm. What, when I look at this game, Matt, I think this Oklahoma defense can have maybe a little bit of hope uh, watching what Texas Tech was capable of doing against this rushing attack. Mm-hmm. And so I am going to agree with you. Um, one of the keys for the game for me was to get to the quarterback. And I think if, number one, you've already talked about keeping containment, we know that quarterbacks who play across the country are very athletic and are are more mobile than they were in past eras. In this spread football era, you have to account for everything. Mm-hmm. And while Brock Purdy is is no Gary Bohannon, while he's not a Spencer Sanders that Oklahoma will face next the, the following Saturday, He's a guy that you still have to count for just for mobility and stretching plays and waiting for something to develop or hoping that something will develop as he hits that sideline so that he can throw the ball downfield. Yeah. What I do know though is you've already mentioned this is Brock Purdy does have the the desire to throw the ball downfield and sometimes that leads to egregious turnovers. Oklahoma getting to the quarterback is going to put the ball into the air. And I think a lot of those are going to be 50-50 toss-ups to a guy like a Charlie Kohler. Now, do you have a defender who can go up and challenge a tight end in terms of height and that jumping ability? Yeah. Oklahoma's building towards that. I think they have some names on the field. It's not an across-the-board type situation, but I'm banking on this one thing, is that Oklahoma has a, a above-average pass rush. You're looking at a guy like Isaiah Thomas, who's making things happen and shifting that pocket. You're looking at a guy like Perrion Winfrey, who, when playing his best football, immediately collapses that pocket, where the quarterback has to do something and no longer has that time to survey the field and throw. Mm -hmm. So, again, just getting pressure on the quarterback, I think, is going to pay dividends for this defense and could potentially lead to those turnovers that we're hoping for from the back end of the defense.
1: Brock pretty threw for 356 yards and three touchdowns last week in Lubbock, Texas, and they lost. Just, I mean, think about that: 356 yards, three touchdowns, and they lost. And a portion of the reason why they lost is because he threw two, two
0: he threw two interceptions. Well, and 3.6 yards per carry on the ground doesn't didn't help him at all.
1: Well, that's the point I'm making. You win first down, you win second down. Or uh, you put him behind the chain starting on second down, then you can really make a difference with, with what you're doing with your secondary and your pass rush. And so I, I think th- to me that that's the key matchup here is this defensive front against Brock Purdy. Mm-hmm. What can you do with him? Because I, I don't I'm not I don't I'm not trying to throw like I'm not trying to throw Brees Hall out the window and say he's a non factor. If Brees Hall runs for three hundred yards, he's definitely a factor. If Brees Hall runs for 125 yards, I think you can live with that. Now I, he was like 50 yards last week or something like that against against Texas Tech. Uh, I've got that actually right here in front of me. He hit 51 yards against Texas Tech, 2.8 yards per carry. So Texas Tech did a good job with him. But the bigger the bigger threat here to me is Brock Purdy, and so that's why I'm saying you start out you start yeah. there with well, evaluating this matchup. And so for me, when you look at defensive keys, because Brock Purdy's my guy. Uh, that I'm focusing on, I gotta win third down. Oh, excuse me, I definitely gotta win third down. I gotta win first down. I want them if if they get four to five yards on first down, I'm not winning. Brock Purdy has a lot of options on second and five. Mm-hmm. Second and eight, he's got way fewer. Third and seven, third and six, third and five, way fewer options. So that first down is huge for me. So my first when I look at this defense, win first down.
0: I I am curious to know how much of the game plan and how effective a guy like Brees Hall was against Texas tech was really determined by the fact that Texas tech took a 17 point lead and a half. Mm -hmm. They were still leading by 10 points at the end of the third quarter. You're, I don't want to say in desperation mode at that time, but you know that you have to gobble up chunks of yardage time and time again, you can't trade score score. And Iowa state obviously did just that by tying the score at 38 against Texas tech. So I, man, I, I, when I look at defensive schematics and what Oklahoma should do, or what I'm hoping that they do, I'm obviously hoping that they limit the scoring, but I think a lot of that comes from one name that we've centered on that we've kind of circled as a player to watch for Iowa state. And that's containing Charlie Kolar, mm-hmm. not making him this available target 10 yards down the field, yeah. but it, it's a twofold equation for me because while you have to have a defender who can challenge him, you also have to have a defender who can tackle him. And Oklahoma's tackling has not been textbook here as of late. If and when, it's more of a win situation than an if, when Charlie Kolar snatches the ball out of the air and turns to run up field, who's going to stop him? Yeah. Yes, your odds, the, the better odds are for a linebacker. I just don't think I, that they're. I hope there's not a linebacker in coverage. That's not a call. No,
1: I get that. I'm I saying I'm saying size wise and
0: bringing him right. down, but I think you have to look at the safeties to cover a majority yeah. of this responsibility. And,
1: and this is where a guy like Jordan Mukes, if he was ready, uh, you know, just to play on this level, physically, Jordan Mukes is the kind of guy who could yeah. run with Attribute Charlie. Charlie wise, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But. Um, here's the danger with Charlie Kohler because of his size. A lot of the passes that are thrown to him are high because he can go up and get them. And you're the defensive back covering him. (laughs) That pass is coming up high. So you're naturally high in your stance and he's a big guy. He's physical and you don't take big physical guys down by going high. So you either have to make a decision with Charlie Kolar. Do you let him catch the pass and then take his legs? Or do you contest the pass knowing you're probably not bringing him down if he catches it? That's what makes him so dangerous. Uh-huh. That's why I say get to Brock Purdy and and make that a short pass as opposed to a long pass right. with Charlie Kolar. So uh, win first down. Uh, yeah, go ahead.
0: I was just say, let's go back because I'm not advocating for a guy like Brian Asamoah. To drop honestly, back into honestly, coverage. Brian
1: Osamoa would, in my opinion, of the linebackers, mm-hmm. he's the best option. Yeah, but then who's going to stop Brees Hall? But well, <laughs> I'm just saying that's why I said I hope it's not a linebacker mm-hmm. on him. But if you were going to put a linebacker on him, Osamo would be the guy yeah, I would and, pick. And
0: like I, I'm just reiterating this. I'm not advocating for that to happen. Like I said, I feel like it, it's really the, the responsibility is going to be drawn by the safeties. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um you, you got to, we've already talked about this. My, my second thing, you know, first thing is you win first down. My, my second key is, is you got to make them pay for, um, you got to make them pay for turnovers. And, and I don't, I don't feel like I need, if if you've been listening to this podcast, I don't need to reiterate that from the true or false segment, but, uh, you got to make them pay for turnovers. If they turn it over, it's got to cost them points. Okay. You're just looking at me. So I, I don't know if you <laughs> agree to, and then finally, uh, my, my third thing is, is, is get off the field. The defense has got to get off the field. Oklahoma's defense is is developing this disturbing trend of winning first down, doing okay on second down, and then losing third or fourth down. Get off the field. Get this offense off the field that gets you as a defense off the field. Those three keys, win first down, make them pay for turnovers, and then just get off the field. That's a pretty simple game plan, but I feel like with this defense, the, the position that they're in right now, they don't need complicated. They've got talent. Just go do what you can do. Mm-hmm. Go do what you can do. Don't give up that seventy-five yard run. That was the, again. That was the backbreaker. Right. Don't give that up this week. But I don't. want, I want to put that in the game plan specifically. Don't give up a seventy-five yard play. Okay. Well, can we make number four? <laughs> anyway, you got any more thoughts on defense? I, I only have
0: the two keys to this this game defensively. I'm sticking to them at this point, Matt, um, because I do think that this is is a tougher challenge than what the outside perception may be. Mm-hmm. And I get when you look at the odds, when you look at the spread, Oklahoma being favored, it's not even by a touchdown at this point. So really it's just going out and handling business. Right. Do what you've been taught to do. Put yourself in a position to make the tackle and then make the tackle. Give me a bold prediction. Bold prediction for me. um, Man, we, we kind of covered this in the true or false, but I think this is a game... Where Oklahoma does have some success defensively, I just don't think it's a game they get a turnover in. I think it's it's that costly. Oklahoma, really? Oklahoma knows what's on the line. You've already mentioned it. Iowa State is is playing to salvage their season. I didn't, wouldn't say there's some hesitancies because of that, but there's a lot of equations that will be played out on the field. And because of those, the Charlie Kolar factor, uh, factor Brees Hall getting a number of carries, Having Brock Purdy not do things outside of his realm of comfort, I, I think those are all contributing factors to why Oklahoma doesn't get a turnover.
1: Man, we're just totally opposite direction right here, I'm going to be honest, because I'm riding the hot wave. I mean, I'm, it's not a hot wave, but I'm riding the wave from last week. I'm sticking with it. Oklahoma's defense gets a score. It's got to happen sometime. <laughs> this weekend, Oklahoma's defense gets a score. I'm not changing it from last weekend. That's my that's my bold prediction for the defense. Give me your players who must perform. Yeah. Maybe we got the same. I'm minus we, two guys. It's a team. I just have one. Okay. Just
0: a singular individual. And I've already mentioned it. It is Brian Azamoa. Okay. You because look at Brees Hall? No, but yes, at the same time. <laughs> uh, you look at the performance that he had. Last week, he's leading the team in tackles for the season. He had the one and a half tackles for loss Mm -hmm. against Baylor. He had the forced fumble. I think he's a guy who's really coming into his own and he's taking leadership and ownership of the linebacker position. Now, there's a lot of good linebackers and a lot of names that that people have become familiar with on this Oklahoma roster, but none have performed as well as a guy like Brian Azamoa. And he really flew under the radar heading into the season. You see that natural arc of his progression. Again, I think he continues that. And I think he draws a major responsibility. Yes. In Brees hall, but you also have to, and you mentioned it more so than me, is you have to factor in Charlie Kolar and how, mm-hmm. how will Alex Grinch utilize these linebackers to whether it's kind of a bump and run, knock him off his path, knock the timing off just a little bit before coming up um, and, and taking over a different assignment again, Brian Esamo is at the center of it for me. So that's why I think he's a guy you have to look out for. And he's a guy that, that you have to hope has a big game.
1: I'm going with the uh, the safeties, Pat Fields and, and DT Yell, because of the Charlie Kolar factor. I think he, in a situation like this, he becomes, well, he has been, not becomes, he, he Charlie Kolar has been Brock Purdy's safety blanket. Mm-hmm. And uh, and for good reason. I mean, he scored twice last week against Texas Tech. Um, and that's going to be on the safeties. I, I think to they're going to draw the assignment. Um, of trying to limit his damage. And so to me, if, if Charlie Kohler has a big night, you know, Xavier Hutchinson can have a big night, and Iowa State can lose. Brock Purdy can have a big night, and Iowa State can lose. Charlie Kohler has a big night, Iowa State typically wins. And so that's a, that's a huge assignment for those two guys. And so Pat, Pat Fields, DT DTL, they're my, they're my guys who must perform, who I'm keeping an eye on. So the Big 12, uh, five games in action this weekend. All of them uh, conference games. We got Oklahoma. Hey, uh, can I just mention one thing? Because I said it was
0: a six-point spread. It's three
1: and a three half and a Three and a half, yeah. Sudden.
0: Yeah, you you should have corrected me my long bad. ago. No, my my bad. It's like it's uh, not even a touchdown. It's uh, six points.
1: Yeah. yeah, I just rolled off of that. My bad. But um, but I hadn't looked
0: in maybe two
1: days. So yeah, well, there we are. Okay, surprise. Uh, 11 a.m. kickoff for Oklahoma and Iowa State. We'll give you our score predictions here to end this. But let's start with uh the other 11 a.m. game: Texas at West Virginia. Mountaineers, three-point favorites. You got an over and under here at 56 and a half. I'm just going to tell you right now, the way Texas is playing defense, take the over. Take the over. I mean, this thing went way, way over with Kansas. If Kansas can hit the over, so can West Virginia. Letty Brown, 100-plus yards in this game. I'm calling it right now. Uh, however, I think, uh, bold prediction, I think Texas edges out a win here, and this is it for Neil Brown. This is his swan song. There it is. I, I think I can see this being like a, I can see this being like a, you know, 31, 28 type game, you know, uh, b- because thinking from this perspective that Kansas just beat Texas, West Virginia, watch that. How, how, you know, Texas is reeling five losses in a row. How, I mean, you. this is how far Texas football has fallen, that I think there's a legitimate chance that West Virginia overlooks Texas. Anyway, I think it's a close game. I think Texas maybe edges this out. I, the only thing I'm comfortable in this, with this game is saying, take the over. Listen, listen to what I'm saying. Take the over. All right, go ahead.
0: <laughs> I do agree with you about the over. As far as Texas is concerned, they have more talent. On their roster, that doesn't really amount to a pile of beans if you're not winning these contests. So while they have, while they have the talents over West Virginia, I agree, Matt. This is a close game. I could see it being 30 to 24 in that kind of a range, but I do think Texas is going to get the win. I oh, get that they're me. not favored. You're with me.
1: You're with me that the yeah. Bijan Robinson-less Texas Longhorns, uh, I get that they're are going to win. Favored
0: in this one, wow. but but I think they're going to win.
1: Okay, I really thought you – I would surprise you on that. 3 o'clock uh, Saturday afternoon, Kansas and Fort Worth to take on TCU – TCU is going to win two more games to be bowl eligible. And uh, this should be a layup right here for the Horn Frogs. Kansas coming off the win of the season for them over the Texas Longhorns. TCU at 21 point favorite over under 64 and a half. Um, TCU wins this game, in my opinion. They win it by about uh, 10 to 14 points. Doesn't hit the over and certainly doesn't hit the 21 point spread.
0: Uh, So we're going to disagree ever so slightly. All right. TCU should have no problems here in winning this contest. I think that they're on the verge of covering it, which is going to push me over the fence and say that they do win this one by 21 points because I think Kansas scores twice at, at at most against TCU, whereas TCU is just going to have their way with this Kansas defense. And when I say have their way, I'm not saying they're going to put up 70 points. I'm saying they're going to put up somewhere in the 35 range. Okay. So when you're looking at two scores, I mean, we're we're on the verge of that 21-point spread. Like right. I said, I just think TCU gets it clearly. There's some things that are changing the Chandler Morris factor, how they're utilizing him, these running backs as well. It, it's going to be a, a tough task, a tall task for Kansas to slow them down. What are you doing with
1: the over at 64 and a half? I'm taking the under. All right, uh, Baylor. I mean,
0: I'm thinking it's like 10 to 30 something. So, okay. I mean, I, I've got to take the under on that. All
1: right, one. Uh, an odd kickoff time for the Big 12, 4:30 Central Time, Fox Sports One, Baylor. At Kansas State, I find it ironic that Kansas State comes in here as a one-point favorite over the Bears, who just manhandled Oklahoma. Baylor eight and two, Kansas State four uh, seven and three, four and three in conference, five and two for Baylor in conference play. The over/unders 50, um, one one-point favorite. I, this is free money for me, in my opinion, uh, unless Baylor comes in and sleepswalk. But they they they're back in the thick of it. I mean, they need need one more loss from Oklahoma to be in the Big 12 Championship game. I don't see them overlooking Kansas State. And in doing so, I don't see them— I don't think they'll blow out Kansas State, but I don't see them losing to Kansas State either. Uh, This would be a huge gift for Oklahoma if they were to lose. A huge gift for Oklahoma— I don't see it happening. Kansas State being a one-point favorite, it's free money here for me.
0: Yeah, the one thing that I think is working against you in these odds um, when we're looking at the spread is the win streak. Kansas State has the longest win streak in the conference. I don't care. At the moment. And that has to count for something. But Baylor, clearly the better team.
1: Oklahoma had the longest win streak in the nation. I know. Played a better team last week and lost.
0: Baylor, clearly the better team here, Matt. Baylor, also the better coached. Team, I think that's what makes the difference here and knowing that you have a guy like Abram Smith who can simply run out the clock. I still think this is a close contest, but I think Baylor wins it.
1: I think it's close. I think Baylor wins by less than a touchdown. But again, if if Baylor wins by a point, they cover being a one point under. I also
0: think this one goes over the over.
1: Yeah, I'll take the over here as well. Yeah, I'm with you on that. If it's set at 50 is pretty low Mm -hmm. in my opinion. Um, Okay, here we go. The nightcap uh, on Fox, Oklahoma State at Texas Tech, Texas Tech coming off of a huge win over Iowa State the weekend before the radio crew gets uh, gets suspended for criticizing Big 12 officiating Uh, Oklahoma State. They're rolling, man. They they win here. Uh, They're in the Big 12 championship game. They've got their ticket punched. Um, Cowboys, a 10 point favorite over under at 56 and a half. Again, I like a lot of overs this weekend, and this is one of them that I like. I don't know that I like Oklahoma State by ten on the road though. Oh, I sure do. All right, so you're you're going to take the Cowboys. Yeah, I,
0: I think Oklahoma State, and it's largely because of the experience they have on defense. I don't think okay. you you see a Texas Tech this. I don't think you see this specific Texas Tech team put up forty points against Oklahoma State. I think it's half of that mm-hmm. roughly, but give me Oklahoma State to score at least thirty five. I'm going to put them at thirty eight. Honestly, if I had to put a score prediction, it's 38 okay. to 24.
1: All right. So you would take the over? I would then... take
0: the over, right. and and I would take the 10.
1: Okay. So that leaves us the big one. Iowa State at Oklahoma. Again, 11 a.m. kickoff on Fox. Sooners are three-and-a-half-point favorites, as Rich just discovered. Uh, <laughs> 59.5 <laughs> is the over-under here. Um, let's start with that. And, Rich, are you taking the over on the under? I,
0: I am taking the over okay. in this game. I. Once again, think this is a close contest. I think both teams are going to score at least thirty points in this one. This is not a game where thirty points wins you the contest. I think thirty points keeps you in it. Mm-hmm. And if you're not scoring thirty, it's because you're getting
1: blown out. I'm taking the under. I'm going with the under, and I'm going off of what I saw last week from Oklahoma. I I don't have confidence in Oklahoma right now. I'm in a bad place as a fan. I'm going to pick Oklahoma to win this game, but I'm going to pick Oklahoma to win this game by like a point. No, just one. Uh, yeah, uh, seriously, it's a nail biter to yeah, the end. Empty tw- your seat. Thirty to Are twenty-nine. You going? Yeah, I'm going. Bundle up. <laughs> Thirty to twenty-nine <laughs> is um is my score prediction for this game. Thirty to twenty-nine. Oklahoma wins by Man. a point. I've I've got no confidence. Tell tell me, as a fan, uh, you're a fan of this team. Why should I have confidence in them?
0: I I don't know. I, I don't know at all, okay, so there it but, is, <laughs> but here's the thing is if you have no confidence in them, why would you not pick um Iowa state to win this month?
1: I think though, I think Oklahoma's the better team, I really do I just don't they're they're terrible against the spread this year oh, I know that they were they were the spread was four and a half last week in Waco and they lost by what seven four what was it twenty seven to fourteen right they lost by mm-hmm. thirteen so you're taking the under taking the under I'm taking and I'm taking Oklahoma.
0: Iowa to win by a narrow margin. Yeah. So Iowa state to cover,
1: I'm literally picking a one point win for Oklahoma. Okay.
0: I'm not going to do that. I'm just not going to do that (laughs) (laughs) with, I do agree with you. I think Oklahoma is the better team here. I think Oklahoma scores 35 to Iowa state's 31 giving, Oh, you're so close (laughs) giving Oklahoma the cover by half a point.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, that's it for the Sooner Nation podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. You can find us on uh, Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on TuneIn Radio. Just about anywhere there's a podcast, you can find us. You can participate in the podcast. Give us your thoughts on or Falls, all that good stuff, by hitting us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. Boomer Sooner.